0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Finding key players for your team can be challenging. Just look at the Astros. It's going to be really challenging for them now that uh, now that they are the premier cheaters of the 2010s. You know what's going to be hard for them? Finding players who want to play in Houston. Well, you know what else was hard? Cafe Otura CEO Dylan Miskowitz. he needed to hire a hire director of coffee. He posted his job at ZipRecruiter, found the best person for the role in just a few days, four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site. Within the first day, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com where we've been writing about baseball and the Oscars and football playoffs and... We had an incredible oral history by Brian Curtis about Stu Scott, his life, and his legacy that uh, I thought I knew a lot about Stu Scott. I worked with Stu Scott. I didn't know half of the stuff that was in here. It's a really great piece. Please go check it out. A lot of people loved it. And uh, speaking of things, check out Book of Basketball podcast. Reggie Miller, The Pyramid, did that with Shea Serrano. That went up. And then one of my favorite rewatchables ever with Quentin Tarantino and Sean Fennessy. we did... King of New York and Tarantino dropped some unbelievable stories about Lawrence Fishburne, some great sliding doors of the mid nineties and how he wrote jewels and pulp fiction for Fishburne and Fishburne turned it down and this chain of events that led after that. And it's just an incredible podcast. If you're a movie nerd, please uh, check it out. We have an action packed podcast for you here. Peter Schrager and I are going to break down conference championship weekend, get into million dollar picks with house. Mallory's coming on to uh, say goodbye to Lamar and then talk about this baseball cheating scandal. And then my dad's going to come out at the tail end. That's all coming up. First, some new music. All right. He was good luck when we had him a couple of weeks ago. And now he's back from the NFL Network and from Fox. Peter Schrager, how are you? Where are you?
1: I am in uh, Brooklyn, New York right now, Bill, and you can imagine Brooklyn is abuzz with football talk, as it always is at this moment.
0: Oh, the coffee shops, the bloggers, the socialists, the, the ha- they're all going nuts.
1: Socialists, the handlebar mustaches, everyone is ready with their oat milk, and they're ready to go. They're excited.
0: <laughs> they're over-caffeinated oat milk. They're just going nuts. <laughs> let's, start with, let's start with the AFC. We have Tennessee and KC, big rematch. We had a piece on the ringer. Talking about the last time these two teams played, where Tennessee won, but Casey shot themselves in the foot a million different ways. And ironically, the other game was another one where the two teams played already, and there was a very definitive outcome. My tendency with this stuff, as we get to January, especially when you have certain playoff teams that just kind of blossom at the right time, is to throw away the past. And this Tennessee team has now blossomed into this old school, awesome juggernaut. And my instinct is to throw away the past. Where do you stand on the last game versus where we are now?
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I went back and actually watched that game and then I've spoken to people on both sides about that game and it was a week 10 game and it was it was Mahomes' first game back from being away for two weeks and they lose on weird block field goal. The Chiefs are up nine points late in this one. They give the game away on the road. But whether you want to say it or not, Derrick Henry did go 188 with two touchdowns in that game and dominated that defensive line and that is exactly what he has done the past two weeks. It's like we were talking about on our show, and I guess the, the basketball analogy is like the NCAA tournament, sometimes Wally Zerbiak, you know, just takes goes on a run and throws you on his back. And sometimes there are these teams that you say, well, during the regular season, Lamar Odom and Rhode Island weren't this great team Yeah, but in the tournament, they're hot, and that's what matters. And I feel like right now this Tennessee team, to compare them, even locker room-wise, to what they were in Week 10 is unfair to them because they just knocked off Brady and Belichick in Foxboro. And I could tell you that they had no doubt they were going to beat the Ravens going into that game, and then just manhandled everybody's darling, the Ravens. They are, as, I guess, as confident as a locker room you'll find, but also like one of these teams that knows they're coming in with Derrick Henry and knows they're going to impose their will. A little small nugget on the Derrick Henry wearing the crown out of the building last week when he leaves Baltimore. Someone had to bring a crown with them. So it was like someone had to pack that crown. He wore the crown out of the building, meaning when they were packing for that trip to Baltimore, they're like, oh, don't forget the crown. I think that's a pretty cool (laughs) little insight onto how they view themselves. That Yeah, Derrick Henry's going to do what Derrick Henry does. You have to stop us, not the other way around.
0: Well, I forgot when I made my picks last week. First of all, I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering why I did a 180 on Tennessee. (laughs) I had them all week. I'd had them for two straight months. I read a couple advanced metrics articles about the Ravens and how historic they were, got completely freaked out and foot by pick and then had to suffer through that game. I forgot about one of the most powerful forces in sports, Peter Schrager, and you're somebody who you were reading me when you were in college. So you, you remember me beating this into the ground in the early 2000s. Yes. Um, the nobody believes in us factor.
1: I mean, it's huge.
0: And it feels like the Titans still have it because now you have the Chiefs coming off this crazy playoff game where they fall behind by 24 and then basically turn into the 1980s Showtime Lakers and have the 90 point second half to just run the other team out of the building. Only this happened in the second quarter. Um, And now everybody's like, oh, well, Mahomes is healthy again. When they played the last time, Mahomes was really compromised, couldn't move around. They're too fast. They're too explosive. Even if they're down 10, they can come flying back. And people have talked themselves into that narrative. Do the Titans qualify for the nobody believes in us corollary?
1: Absolutely. The Titans qualify for that. And you're you're right. And it's like we went back and, and you start looking at the game and you start making excuses for the Chiefs. But at the end of the day, the Titans came in there and ran the ball, 188 and two touchdowns from Derrick Henry on that defense. And that doesn't go forgotten. The fact that they beat the MVP from two years ago, the fact they beat the MVP from this year, and now the fact that, hey, oh, here come the Chiefs. They got the jitters out of them, and now they're just going to be lights out. Like they're, they're well aware of what people are talking about in Tennessee. There's also an interesting figure in this one. So everyone talks about these offenses, and Greg Roman got job interviews and was, was those celebrated for the Ravens, and obviously Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan and even LaFleur. I mentioned him on the podcast last time with you, but there's this guy, Arthur Smith, the most unassuming name, who is the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Bill, your listeners have to know this guy's story. His father, and I'm not sure if he's even comfortable everyone knowing this, his father is Fred Smith, who is the CEO and founder of Federal Express.
2: That is his (laughs) dad. What?
1: So, So that is his dad. That is the offensive coordinator of the Titans. He's 35 years old, but this isn't some like nepotism, like, oh, no, he has been grinding it out for 10 years in the league as like an offensive line assistant to then a tight ends coach. And then they fire Malarkey. They hire Vrabel. They keep him on as a tight ends coach. And this is his first year as the offensive coordinator slash play caller. And that is the approach of this dude, or it's like, I'm a tight ends guy. I'm an offensive line guy. We're going to ram the ball down your throats. You have to stop us. But this is my favorite of all these storylines with this dude and his rise here, because Here's a guy that never has to work a day in his life and he was making twenty grand as a quality control assistant for many, many years and literally did the wait your turn, take the next job, wait your turn. So with Tennessee over three different head coaches and has earned his place at the table and yet you wouldn't even know his face or his story but yeah google arthur smith and look up his story he went to georgetown prep like he could easily be in the hamptons or somewhere else and instead he's grinding it out as an offensive line coach in the nfl and now is matching wits with like the best offensive and defensive coaches in the league
0: wow kyle i have hope for ben simmons now wow I think Kansas. my son, maybe maybe he'll have a job.
1: Incredible. And I'm not the CEO of FedEx. Kids. They've got a shot.
0: <laughs> I like that his middle name is William. His name is Arthur <laughs> William Smith. So he either sounds like a serial killer or the rich son of the FedEx guy who is now an offensive <laughs> coordinator. It's one or the other. I think it worked out pretty well for him.
1: Um, it did. It worked out. How about the jump pass, though? I mean, you talk about oh my balls God. in a big spot. It was awesome. I loved it. And it's like one of those deals where we're going to go nuts about jet sweep and crazy motion. And literally their play is the Tech Mobile playbook. It looks like just like run left, run right, pass, right, pass left. And it worked.
0: I don't know where I was on this because I feel like I'm in like at least the 97th percentile of, of passionate sports fans. One of my favorite things is when somebody was like an absolutely incredible dominant high school player. And this is dating back yeah. to when I was in high school, one of my best friends, Steve Bishop, we used to become obsessed when there was like these high school super athletes and my friend Bish. Can we name a few?
1: Well, Damon Bailey is what comes to mind.
0: Well, and like Marcus Dupree was a classic. Yes. We ended up making a 30 for 30 out of him. But the, the one that we were the most enamored with, and this was like Bish's favorite person ever, was Ronald Curry. who oh,
1: come
0: on. Virginia. To, well, he went to North Carolina and tried to play starting point guard and quarterback at the same time. For a high div one, especially basketball, they were way up there and he actually did. I think he got hurt, but we were like, just so fascinated by somebody trying to do this. Chris
1: Fowler used to host that show, Scholastic Sports. Yeah. I'll never forget on ESPN. They go into, I think he's either from Newport News or Virginia beach. And they're like, here's Ronald Curry. He plays both sports. He's all Virginia, all this stuff. He's going to North Carolina. Now he got hurt, but he did have an NFL career as a wide receiver for the Raiders, like uh, like a legit career despite the injury. But yes, he is probably the greatest high school athlete in a state that includes Allen Iverson and Michael Vick. Like I think it's pretty good. Ronald Curry, hands down, best Virginia athlete ever.
0: Well, and Randy Moss was another one where he was this yep. incredible basketball player who played with White Chocolate, and so anyway, I never knew about. Derrick Henry basically oh. being the linebacker from fast times at Ridgemont High, multiplied by like the greatest running back. And, and like somebody had a tweet of his high school stats his senior year, where it was like 430 yards a game or something.
1: It was the championship game, it was a state yeah. championship game. He ran for 430 and seven touchdowns.
0: Oh my God. And the highlights are amazing. <laughs> but what's crazy is he's been able to extend that. Into the National Football League, where it still seems like he's in the high school game. Have you stood next to him? Like, how big is he? Yes.
1: I'm big. I'm 6'3". He towers over me. I mean, he's 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 legitimately 6'4", 6'5", whatever like, the listings say in the media guide. He is as big as anyone else on the field. You know, the offensive linemen are at the same height with him. And his presence is so... Uh, you know, because he's one of these quiet big men, which is almost scarier than the big man that runs his mouth. He's just like this this almost brooding, big, quiet character out there where he doesn't talk smack. And then he just seeks the contact. And the nutty stuff about Derrick Henry's like high school career numbers is that obviously he goes to Alabama and has his stuff and all this, whatever it is, he, also in high school, his second half numbers are like historically better than his yeah. first half numbers, which is what he does at the NFL level. And at the end of the day, a lot of these defensive coordinators who I talked to are like, the thing with Henry is that you knock him around for 20, 25 minutes, then it gets the 35 minutes. Then in the 45th minute, he's still standing. And it's like, what do you want me to do? I've got a 190 pound corner trying to tackle him.
2: Right.
0: And the thing is, you know, I keep hearing about the Chris Jones thing. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I'm afraid to make my pick until I find him he's playing. I don't think it matters. I think Henry's – I I just think he's going to do what he's going to do regardless of who's out there. I don't think the Chiefs are very good against the run to begin with. But the fascinating thing about last week, that Baltimore-Tennessee game, it was – you've played, man, and the, it was the engage eight on yeah. both sides. Engage eight. And usually when you do that, at some point the other team starts throwing – But Tennessee was just like, (laughs) fine. You keep your eight guys in there. We're still going to run on you. And they were able to control the game. I think the Chiefs are going to be at even more of a disadvantage. The Ravens had 12 pro bowlers. You know, and I I forget how many on defense, but the Titans, you know, really manhandled them. Defensively, I think the Ravens are probably going to look back at that game for the next 20 years and wonder what happens if we don't panic. Why, why we, did we throw the ball so many times? Why did we, from the moment we went behind, why did we act like there was four minutes left in the game? I'm sure they have a million things to kill themselves about. But fundamentally, I felt like Tennessee could just move the ball on them. And that's what they did. And I think it's going to happen this week.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, we did a a big segment Monday on the Good Morning Football show about whether you look back at the Ravens season as shining achievement or like utter disappointment. And of course, me, the pessimist, I was just like, that's the worst way to end a season. Like, they're nothing. I'll never remember this team. They're a regular season team. And the other three hosts were like, wow, that's harsh. I'll look back at the amazing highlights we had and Lamar Jackson wearing sunglasses. And I'm like, I kind of look at it as a missed opportunity because this could have been one of the most fun teams we ever talked about. Like, I still talk about the 99 Rams because they were just so fun to watch. This team, they kind of lost. They remind me of like an old Chargers team that would do the same thing. So how do you do something different than what they do with lesser defensive talent? I think the Chiefs would probably even say that themselves. Truth is, Chris Jones, to me, is a big deal because Chris Jones wouldn't have been a big deal against Watson. I feel like Watson's the kind of guy that's going to be running laterally and is going to be doing all those things outside the pocket. To me, this offense is right up the gut, and that's where Chris Jones is waiting. But he was there last time, and they went for 188 and two touchdowns on him. So I don't know. This, to me, is one of those deals where if the Chiefs get out early and get a score and don't fall behind, I don't see Tennessee being able to run their football and have it – they have to get a little creative – But the first two weeks of the playoffs, we said the same thing about the Patriots and the Ravens and it hasn't been the case. The Titans took the lead early and then they just dominated from then on out.
0: The thing is, if you have an injured Chris Jones who's playing and the Titans have already run on him when he was healthy and playing, then, you know, he'll help a little bit, but it's still ultimately, Henry's going to be able to do what he wants to do in this game. You made the key point. What happens if they're down 10 and they have to change who they are? That did not happen to them in the Pats game did not happen to them in the Ravens game. Conversely, it happened to the Ravens. Yep. And we found out this usually happens during the football playoffs. There's going to be a moment where you can't do what you'd like to do. And you have to kind of figure out something else to do. The Pats had it against the Rams in the Super Bowl last year. They couldn't move yep, the ball. And they had
1: it the year, the year before that when Blake Bortles had to lead them on a drive and Stephon Gilmore knocks it away right. because they didn't have the confidence. I mean, at some point the quarterback needs to win you a game and Tannehill for as good and as efficient as he's been, Hasn't been asked to
0: do that yet. Now, here's the flip side on that. Incredible throw by him for the first touchdown. Amazing. Really good throw in the second touchdown. Like, he really did make the two big plays that he had to make. I think the Chiefs will be able to pressure him a little. It's They're going to be in Arrowhead, which I think matters less because of the experience they had with Baltimore last week, although it wasn't cold in Baltimore last week. but Yeah. Um, I I Indeed, just feel like the Andy
1: factor. I know you and cousin Sal well, about it. Like, we gotta
0: talk about that too. It's the like, Andy factor. Can I tell
1: you a, a story that is half Brooklyn, half name drop, half you're either going to be nauseated or love it. Can I tell you a good story that I think yeah. you'd like Sunday morning? I'm home for a rare weekend. I walk into this coffee shop, which is on bond and third in Brooklyn, which is like, whatever I walk in and I, and, and there's a Hollywood celebrity and he looks at me. I don't think he has any idea who I am. He doesn't recognize me or anything. And he just says to me, man, how crazy was that football game last night? And I'm like, it was nuts. The Ravens lost. They had it all season. And then he drops his pearl of wisdom on me and goes, and I'll tell you who it is afterwards. He just it. He's like, man, the way it all shaken out with, with Belichick losing like that. And then now with the Ravens out of the way, doesn't it just feel like Andy Reid's year? And I'm like, wow, Ethan Hawke with the greatest football Oh my God. What a name heard. drop." Ethan Hawk, and I didn't know who I am. I'm not saying we're buddies. We weren't out there together. He was just talking to a random stranger on Sunday morning, but his point is right. Like, if you believe in this stuff, Belichick has haunted Andy Reid forever. Okay, if the Ravens win, that game's in Baltimore, then they got to go on the road, and that's not a comfortable place. Like, the cards fell perfectly going back to Week 17 with the Fitzpatrick pass to Gasecki For all of it to be as easy a pass, and I know it's not easy, but as less stressful a a path as possible for Andy Reid to get to this thing. Yeah. And part of me thinks like 24 to nothing, you needed to get that Andy Reid stuff out of the system. I can't imagine it happening again for a second straight week.
0: Well, and that's why I think Tennessee either wins the game or gets blown out. And that's what I've tried to play out both scenarios in my head. I don't think this is a three. This is not a Casey guts it out by three game. In my opinion, I think. Tennessee either controls the game and it unfolds a lot like these last two weeks did or KC continues to do their thing. And then, you know, as we discussed, if, uh, if Tennessee is now down 10 and there's 11 minutes left and the running game is now off the table and they have to actually throw the ball to win. Like that's, that's when you have that moment, like what the Pats had against the Rams last year. Can you do what you didn't want to do the whole game? The, the Casey thing the the big case, if you're going to make it for them, other than I agree with you with the Andy Reid narrative thing, is that Mahomes really looks like Mahomes again. And yeah. it's funny how we knew he was kind of compromised when he came back, but now that we can actually see him moving around the same way Russ Wilson and those guys kind of do, and the the plays that he can buy them and he can suck the life out of you, I thought it was a really important game. I thought Rasilla made a good point in his pod. Cause we spent a lot of time talking about the Texans choking and all that, and probably not enough time talking about just what an unbelievable win that was for the chiefs. Like really an all-time memorable round two playoff win. And you're right. If this is Andy Reed's year, that's the kind of win that launches it. So who knows what, what, what's your pick? Just out of curiosity.
1: I'm taking the chiefs. Mm. I, I think they get up early and they just take care of business. And this, this is their year. I, I had them before the season as my team to, to go to the Super Bowl, And I usually, will defend that and not try to back off. And I also had the Rams, and that didn't work out. But with the Chiefs, you know what? It's it's one of these things with Mahomes where there's a little wrinkle of difference this year to last. Last year, he was this humble superstar, and he is still a very humble guy. And I've gotten to know him fairly well just doing games and getting to meet him through NFL stuff. This year, if you watch Patrick, and and he, of course, will always be gracious to the, to the victor or to the person on the other end, whatever it is. There's a lot of swagger to him, too. Like, he's a little bit feeling himself in this year where it's like, wait a second. I need to be that guy for the rest of the guys to feel confident. Yep. if you watch the inside the NFL, Mike Dubb stuff, he's on the sidelines telling Kelsey they can't stop us. And even that one play where he ran out of bounds, I think he had like a 20-yard run to get the first down. He drops the ball, like, right as he's going out of bounds, almost like a little casual. And it's almost, he's got this look and feel to him where he's like, I know I'm the best player on the planet everyone else come and follow me. I'm leading you this year. Last year was, I'm going to do all these great things and make highlight reels, but maybe I need a little veteran leadership to like, no, no, this is 100% his team. And even like the oldest veterans on that team, they're following him every step of the way. And I kind of get the feeling this is one of those magical seasons where, where Mahomes makes that giant leap from the first year from a starter to a second.
0: I noticed that during the game And I think Sal and I, we even talked about it Sunday night about the difference between how he handled the adversity of that game versus how Lamar did. And from Lamar's standpoint, inexperience, not much different than Mahomes last year. When things went sideways for the Ravens early, you could see it. You could see Lamar's wheels turning and he stayed to himself and he wasn't doing the stuff Mahomes did. And I think you're right. Like, yeah, I just read Bob Iger's book, which was really good. I was shocked by how good it was and one of the things he was talking about was how when you're the leader sometimes you forget how everybody feeds off you and whatever mood you're in at all times and i think with lamar last week you could see that he couldn't figure out what was happening if i'm on his team and i'm like that's my guy i'm supposed to fall into the fire and he looks confused and and you know discombobulated i'm now i'm nervous whereas mahomes was like we've got this we're the chiefs we're we're gonna we're putting up touchdowns and i I did feel like his team kept that confidence. We're gonna take one quick break and then I want to talk about the NFC hey with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy even in the face of others judgment. So Pepsi encourages you to let loose be yourself and live your life like nobody's watching. You know, sometimes I enjoy saying things that other people are afraid to say, I just did this on our podcast, The Hottest Take, which is available only on Spotify. I did a whole thing about Tom Hanks. And you know what the message was? Tom Hanks, do better. Make better movies. You, you, the last 20 years, you're batting 270. Do better. And everybody gasped because you're not allowed to criticize Tom Hanks. It's like, no, Tom Hanks is one of my favorite actors ever. Do a little better. I didn't really like the Mr. Rogers movie that much. Make another rom-com with Meg Ryan. Do something. Anyway, it made me feel good to just say what I wanted to say without any repercussions. Pepsi, that's what I like. Okay. From an NFC standpoint, we talked about narratives before. If the Chiefs win, we just hit the two narratives. Maybe this is Andy Reid's year. Trademark, Ethan Hawke. Mahomes has gone to another level. He was the guy all along, not Lamar. That would be a thing. If it's Tennessee, oh, my God, this is a sports movie. Derrick Henry, has this has a chance to be one of the great running back runs in the history of the sport. Um, all that stuff. Now, if we go to the Green Bay, San Francisco, if you look at it from the Green Bay side, there is a very, very 97-98 Broncos feel to this Packers run.
1: Oh, I like this. Go on. This is good. L.A.,
0: the scariest quarterback of uh, – of my life up to age 30. Always felt like never felt comfortable with a lead against him. Um, if you're down, if you're up four and he's come down the field, you're just terrified. But ends up winning the Super Bowl because of Terrell Davis and an awesome supporting cast, and them relying on him, but not relying on him too much. And now we're in the same situation with the Packers and Rogers and the whole concept, which Kevin Clark broke down in Slow News Day Today about even if you have an awesome quarterback, that doesn't mean you should be leaning on him all the time. And it seems like they found the right balance. The flip side, so that would be the narrative is like, oh, Rogers' late stage of his yeah. career, 98 Broncos, all that stuff. The flip side is maybe the Seahawks just weren't very good and we shouldn't learn anything from that
1: game. Yeah, and this is the thing with the Packers, and they've been dealing with this all season. And I know this from people within their building. They were a little confused with the national you know, conversation on them because it's like in the one end, LaFleur's, 14 and 3 now, but he's got Aaron Rodgers. And on the other end, it's like Aaron Rodgers isn't what he used to be. So it's like, well, what what is it, guys? Is it, well, like, can we get some credit? One or the other. Like, you can't say it's both ways. Uh, to me, the story of this Packers team is like basically Rodgers saying, I'm still here. When Brady's eliminated, Breeze is eliminated, Ben gets injured, Eli's benched, Flacco's benched. It's like, I'm the last of the old guard. I'm still here, and I'm going to be the guy, and I'm going to be the last one standing. I also think this particular matchup is fascinating. And just really briefly, the, the coaching dynamics between the two. LaFleur was, was Shanahan's right hand man in three different places. When Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Houston, his quality control assistant was LaFleur. When he gets the job in Washington, he brings LaFleur with him. When he gets the job then in Atlanta, he takes LaFleur with him. So, like eight different years, three different teams, LaFleur learns everything he knows from Kyle Shanahan. On the flip side of it, LaFleur's little brother, Mike LaFleur, is now Kyle Shanahan's top assistant in San Francisco. So there's so many, like, weird, incestual, I know this, but I know this about you, and I know this about you. And if you want to go one step further, Robert Sala, who's the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, and Matt LaFleur are, like, best friends for life, and they've known each other since working together at Central Michigan In 2004, and these guys are like groomsmen in each other's weddings. Like, It's so much, I know what the other guy's going to do, and oh, I know what you're going to do also, that I think this is truly going to be a chess match. And when you add in the first game where it was basically big brother, Kyle Shanahan slapped around little brother, I think it makes it even more interesting because now it's like, all right, there's a sequel part to this where like, all right, the bully or the big brother got me. Now it's my time to kind of get the last word. I'm fascinated by it because... From just an X's and O's standpoint, no two teams know each other more than these two.
0: I think the Packers lose last week if Jimmy Graham drops that 39, which was (laughs) at his feet. (laughs) It was at his feet. So if you just look at it from that lens, because now now we're like, oh, Packers, here they go. If you can
1: Russell the ball back, there's no doubt that that he's scoring there.
0: Yeah. I just think he goes down and and, and gets it. And Isn't I that actually, a
1: credit to the Packers then for the third and eight, and then the third and nine? Like it is. There's a lot. Of, like to me, it's they they freaking completed those passes. They kept Russell Wilson off. That's what champions do.
0: I, I agree with you. My point is, Seattle was pretty bad. Yeah, like that, they didn't that, come
1: out ready. They were down twenty-eight ten before we even got started.
0: My son was watching that game with me, and he was like. He's not beast mode. He's feast mode, and then laughed hysterically <laughs> at his own joke. He thought it was so funny, but he was right. Marshawn was just washed up, and it was somebody that was in you know significant situations, and Homer, and you know, and and like always with the Seahawks, they have to wait until they're basically being buried in these six foot coffin and that's been dug out for them, and and then all of a sudden that's when they do the Michael Myers. But you know, they they really had to. That that was a game they could have lost by 35, potentially. And they come roaring back. I don't think that Seahawks team is very good. And this is a time where I do think the last game matters. Because it wasn't just that they got beat. They got manhandled. And I don't know why that's going to be different this time. Explain why you think that might be different
1: this time. They haven't lost a game since. That was week 12. They haven't lost a game since. They've had to win all these games because of the home field implications and the division. And they've won some big road games too. I mean, they went into Minnesota against a team that really desperately wanted to prove to the world on Monday night football that they, and they slapped them around. Like they view themselves as the bullies in this thing. They've got these two defensive players and Preston and Zadarius Smith who can't be stopped. And then at the end of the day, they're like, we got Rogers and Jones and Adams. Like we've got three better offensive players than everybody on the 49ers that they have. So they think that they've got, they've got the elements that it takes to win. And the argument for them is that you look at that game in week 12 and say, okay, well, what did we do wrong? Here's the, here's the roadmap. Let's do something differently. And there's time to prepare for it. Now. That's fair. I I don't know if that all plays out, but like, we've seen it time and time again. And Kyle Shanahan when asked about that game this week said, okay, well, when I was in Atlanta, Carolina had that 15 and one season. And then like week 12, we lost to them 37 to nothing. And then we played them two weeks later and beat them. Their only loss of the season. So like it, 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 you can't just look at one game and say, how is it going to be different? They're always different. There's always a different script. Very rarely does one team just completely wipe out another in a big rematch.
2: Yeah.
0: The only thing I I'm with you, by the way, I, I do think, especially I think about this a lot with, um, with my daughter's soccer career where you just, sometimes you lose to a team and you're just driving home. You're like, how the fuck did we lose that game? What yeah. happened? How do we lose yeah. to that team? Three, nothing. It's ridiculous. We would beat them if we played again. So I get it. I think um, the thing that concerns me for the Packers is how the Niners are able to get as much pressure as they can get without having to blitz at all.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's the part I can't reconcile. Like, if they were playing the Patriots, I would be super nervous because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the Patriots aren't in the playoffs anymore. Um, Yeah. But if they were... I
1: would, How would that line stop Buckner, Armstead? Both yeah, things? I just feel like, fuck,
0: they're not even going to have to blitz us and Brady's going to be yeah. running for his life all game. The flip side of that is that they that they'll probably figure out some wrinkles and some ways to do it. I was really impressed, not with the grand play, because um, even though that was a good play too, but that Adams somehow getting open on them, that first third down that they needed. The
1: first one or the after the catch one? Because the first one was an incredible route.
0: The first one when... When it seemed like they were just punting it right back to the Seahawks. Yep. And it's like they're clearly going to Adams and he got open anyway. And, you know, he's a guy that sometimes he's dinged up. He'll have 180 yards and then he's out in the first quarter of the next week. And he just, but it seems like he's 100% now and locked in with Rodgers. And we also didn't see a ton of Jones last week for what he usually Mm -hmm. gives them. So I can see the case. What's interesting is there's an extra half point. You get seven and a half if you take the Packers. So if you're taking the Niners, you're thinking this is another blowout. And yeah. I'm not positive I'm ready to go there. I I'm still sorting out my feelings on this game. If the, you...
1: the, the thing with San Francisco, which was, I think, eye-opening for a lot of people, is that they ran the ball 47 times, and that was not on some soft defense that was on a team that was coming in after knocking around drew Brees and giving Alvin Kamara hell the week before, like 47 times. And on that one drive, they go eight straight runs right up the gut. It was one of those, like, you know, it's coming, try to block Kittle, try to block use And you can then try to maybe touch Tevin Coleman. And they couldn't the thing with the 49ers and why Kyle is so smart as a head coach is that you're preparing yourself for that. And then you'll go to the new Orleans game and Garoppolo will throw 40 times and they'll put up 48 points. Like, they are truly, and this is a credit to the offensive you know, play calling, they're a chameleon where you don't know what you're getting week to week, so you can't really prep, and they have that upper hand on you where it's like we can do either thing. We can pass the ball and beat you that way through the air, which they've done throughout the season, or we can just go Tennessee Titan style on you, hand the ball to three different running backs who are completely different body types, and absolutely destroy you that way.
0: So the narrative for them would be this is just the best team.
1: Best like, team, like, most complete team
0: This is why I bet on them for the Super Bowl I was like, they have the best team I don't know if that yep. means they're going to win the Super Bowl But I feel the safest with them Because in any conceivable playoff game situation Even if they're down 10 with 11 minutes left I do feel like they could throw the ball and make some plays And I think Kittle yeah, can make and, plays Debo has emerged as a real and force Sanders And Sanders is really good Yeah, so yeah.
1: There was a storyline early in the year where it was like, can Garoppolo make a big play if he has to? But like in New Orleans, he went down and did just that. In Seattle, he did just that. Against the Rams on Saturday night, there was two third and 16s he had to complete to lock up that one seed, and he did. So it's like hard for you to say, yeah, but he's never been in in a championship game. Well, he's 21 and five as a starter, and every big game this year, he has stepped up and been excellent.
0: Yeah. I wish the line was six and a half. I don't know why, yeah. but that going over the touchdown means that they have to win decisively. So if you had to say one game is close, one game is a blowout, which is usually the case, I, don't throw the advanced metrics at me, but that's like perennially the the quote unquote stereotype of championship weekend. If you yeah. had say one close game, one blowout, what would you pick?
1: I see the Chiefs taking care of business and this being Mahomes and Andy's like, you know, masterpiece in the early game. And then I see... Rodgers not letting that team die and fighting to
0: the very end. All right. There you go. What happens after football season ends?
1: Do you, oh, don't worry. Is that Our the saddest, five, saddest five month five of your show? Week. Don't worry. We've talking about, we start talking about third round potential running backs that might go to the saints or the Cardinals. Let's dig into it. Oh, we're all football all day. Trust me.
0: Where is Tua going to go?
1: I wish it was just Tua. It ends up being, where is Tua's backup going to go? That's
0: how deep we go. Oh Well, good luck. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Enjoyed it as always. Say hi to the rest of the gang from Good Morning Football for me.
1: I uh, will. I appreciate it, man. All thanks right. so much for having me on. All right.
0: We're bringing it in the house in one second to do uh, Million Dollar Picks. First, chances are you've heard of Salesforce. If you're like a lot of people, you don't know exactly what Salesforce does. Well, the simple answer is this. Salesforce brings customers and companies together. With Salesforce, different employees across your different departments, like Steve in sales, Marion Marketing, Katie in customer service, even I in IT, they all get a single shared 360-degree view of each of your customers. That means whenever your customers talk with Steve in sales or whoever, they'll feel like they're having a relationship with one united company, not a series of disconnected departments, which is important. And second, it means that Steve in sales and everybody else will have everything they need to make your customers happy and not just a little happy. Happy like, wow, I love this company. They really get me. I'm never going anywhere else happy. That kind of happy. When your customers are that happy, well, everyone's happy. That's how Salesforce brings companies and customers together. I can vouch firsthand that this is a great company because my buddy Bish did really well there. Makes sense. To learn more, visit salesforce.com learn more. Two shout outs for Bish in this podcast. Jeez. All right. Let's, uh, let's bring in house. All right. Joe house is on the line. He is my conciliary for, uh, last week's million dollar picks, which was the worst we've ever done. We lost. Do we have
3: any money left? Yeah,
0: we have some money left. It's not a lot of money house. It's we're, we're now up 235,000 for the season. We're up almost 2 million a week ago. (laughs) Yeah. It was a rough last week. A lot of things went wrong. Uh, we don't need to go over uh, all the horrors from last week, but it uh, was was bad. It felt like the gods were against us. I am never gonna free myself for for bailing on the Titans after loving them for two straight months. I still don't know what I was thinking. We somehow well, did think about this. Yeah.
3: You know who put us in this hole? The Patriots. Dean Pease. Dean Pease. Spelled yeah. P-E-E-S. Dean Pease. He peed all over us, Bill Simmons. That that Tennessee Titan defense and the rewriting of the story um, once the playoffs started, it was a masterful game plan against the Baltimore Ravens. It was a masterful game plan against the New England Patriots. Can Dean Pease come up with another masterful game plan against the Kansas City Chiefs? Who looked pretty goddamn good last week. They did look good. Scored a lot of points. Let's let's figure
0: out what we're doing, and then I want to throw some props at you that I enjoyed. Great. The lines are Casey by seven and San Francisco by seven and a half. Peter Schrager and I went through all the narratives, including Ethan Hawke running into Ethan Hawke at a coffee house or somewhere, and Ethan Hawke saying to him, maybe this is just Andy Reid's year. That made my head spin. I don't know what Andy Reid's year looked like. I just remember the year that you bet a lot of money on the Chiefs money line against Marcus Mariota and somehow lost. So I, I'm guessing <laughs> Wait, did your guard Wait, that guards Ethan Hawk
3: up? thing. That really happened?
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe Ethan Hawk just had the wisdom for this playoff. series.
3: But maybe it's Andy in, Reid's in this, year. Maybe it is. So in in this 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 week, we have James Vanderbeek and Ethan Hawk making prominent appearances on on Ringer content.
0: Yeah, basically. That's how, that's how it played out. It's all true. Pl- I
3: don't know what to make of it.
0: Plus, we we had we had our first cheating scandal on the BS Pod. Sal Wait, who cheated? Sal. Um, there were apparently garbage cans in his house. His kids were hitting garbage cans when he was doing guest lines, <laughs> and he had a buzzer attached to uh, his left breast, so he's getting electrocuted if it was supposed to be. You know, higher than my guess, lower or whatever. So we're sorting it out. I he's, mean, he's suspended the, right the now. The
3: buzzer on the the buzzer on the breast sounds pretty good. You know, I'm coming out this this weekend. I'd like to explore that with you.
0: Yeah, you're going to be on the Sunday night pod, either licking our wounds or celebrating these incredible bets. Um, Hopefully,
3: buzzing some breasts.
0: We uh, we usually agree on picks, which is usually bad since we've been losing for a couple of weeks bad, now.
3: Bad for us. Bad for anybody that listens to us.
0: I almost want you to give your pick for Chiefs Titans, and then I might just go the other way. What's your pick?
3: I'm picking the Titans. Like you know, fool me once, fool me twice. This is exactly the time to load up on the Chiefs. So of course I'm going to load up on the Titans. I mean, I am the squarest square in Squaresville, um, and I've I've seen enough. The thing that makes me believe the Titans can cover the seven is is the game plan thing, like they they effectively crafted a game plan against an all-time juggernaut offense that was uh, a bend don't break that created you know the all of the um advantages that Tennessee possessed defensively they brought to bear they were able to push uh, up front they had that that their safety has 17 interceptions since 2017 bird kevin bird i'm not great with names um but they they effectively they 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 gave up five hundred and thirty yards to the Ravens uh and 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 were able to amass only three hundred yards themselves in the history of the NFL. There's never been a playoff game with that great of a yardage difference and the and the team behind uh won. They didn't just win though they beat the crap out of Baltimore they yes. were more physical than Baltimore, and so that's i've I've kind of seen enough like. What about the Chiefs offense is going to solve that Tennessee puzzle? You know what I mean?
0: Well, you would say Mahomes peaking at the right time and they're so fast and if the Titans fall behind by 10 and all the the stuff we would normally say. I love that Chris Jones is either not playing or or he's hurt because I like the Titans in this matchup anyway. And the fact that the Chiefs aren't at full strength or a little compromised I think is great for them. I keep looking at this as I really genuinely feel this is an either team could win game and we're getting seven. So why wouldn't we take I agree. the seven?
3: It's terrible. It's terrible that we agree. It's terrible that this feels like a layup. We had a layup last week. It was teasing the Baltimore Ravens down to two and a half and teasing the Chiefs down to two and a half. And all that has to happen is Baltimore and the Chiefs win and we got our asses handed to yeah, us. Yeah, we almost lost both sides of that. Well, the Titans are plus 270
0: to win the game. Okay. I said this to Schrager, and I really do feel this way. I think the Chiefs either blow them out or the Titans win. I'm not sure we're going to need the plus seven. Because no, I, I, like think, the- I think the Titans will win. I mean, just for the sake of I'm um, five and three against the spread this in the playoffs. I'll take the plus seven just for that, but I think the money line is more intriguing to me because if this game drags on to the fourth quarter and it's tight, and it'll just be Titans football. The thing is, as you said, they they gave up over five hundred yards to Baltimore. The Pats were moving the ball on them too, but they have this ability, and they've had it for the last couple months when they're inside their own twenty playing defense. They can actually make some stops, or be in the right place at the right time, or get that one tip pass, or have the slot receiver jump the route, and they they have kind of a swagger to them when their backs are to the wall, which I like against this Chiefs team.
3: I totally agree. That's exactly the <laughs> the the analysis, and all of the stats um, prove it out. If you watch what happened against the Patriots and against the Ravens, it's inside the twenty yard line. The other thing that Tennessee did super effectively against Baltimore. The best starting position for Baltimore in the entire game was their own twenty six yard line right so they- t- Tennessee dominated the field position game. Can they do that against the chiefs? I mean some of that is luck you' you're not gonna you know some a lot of it is is execution and game plan but at some point you know if the punter mis- has a has a glancing blow or a guy you know has a has a weird kind of return um I like that I don't um, know.
0: I'm with you, and I like the fact that the Titans didn't act like they won the Super Bowl when they beat the Pats, and they didn't act like they won the Super Bowl when they won last week, when they had a massive, massive upset against the Ravens. They remind me, it's weird, my first great Patriots run ever, going way, way back, I was in high school, 1985. Kyle's not even born yet. Kyle would have loved this team, though. And we made the Super Bowl. Basically, you know, as one of the, as this underdog Titans type team where we had a great running game, we had an identity and it was like this lunch pail team that uh, just kind of took care of business, controlled the ball. Very, very reminiscent of this Titans run. And it led to us thinking we had a chance against the 85 Bears, one of the great teams of all time. And they completely absolutely pillaged us for four quarters. It was worst three hours of uh, my whole decade, probably other than game six of the Six world series. But, um, but you it, made
3: the play, you made the super bowl. I, I mean, know, you know. but I'm saying kind of gravy,
0: we've seen this happen before. It just hasn't happened lately where you have this well, old school football team and they're an old school football team. And I, I think that's why I, they're so endearing.
3: You and I have have now been talking for eight and a half minutes, and we haven't said Derrick Henry's name yet. Like, that's the story here. Right. And And I just don't want to.
0: I don't want to bet against him, do you? I don't want. I'd rather. I'd rather bet against Mahomes, who's just as terrifying. I just don't. It sucked to bet against Derrick Henry last week when he was
3: gone. I was like, oh my God, I have no chance. Well, I don't want to bet against Mahomes under any circumstances. What you're betting against is the Kansas City defense because you know if 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 they can't stop henry and the vulnerability this has been kind of the chiefs uh bugaboo for a couple seasons now they can't stop the run they can't stop the run and if if he just goes off for 225 all purpose yards again and they control the clock and they bend don't break you know it might be another game where the chiefs the chiefs gets 550 yards but they're well, kicking field goals
0: there's two playoff manifesto Actually, there's three playoff manifesto rules, which was another problem with last week's performance. I didn't consult with the playoff manifesto. I would have looked at that nobody believes in us thing and been like, why am I going at Tennessee? So they have the nobody believes in us. They still have. Schrager uh, confirmed. They have um, the Andy (laughs) Reid. Just anytime you're betting on Andy Reid in a playoff game, just be fucking careful. And I think that one qualifies.
3: I mean, that was a great first quarter. That one was very in effect of the first quarter.
0: And then the other past thing, Sunday. There, there is one of the one of the playoff manifesto rules: is beware of the team that looked a little too good last week. Casey, their offense looked so incredible last week that it's now skewed people a little against them because they just looked like, you know, one of the all time great offenses. We knew Houston wasn't good. That's why we picked the Chiefs plus 10 or minus 10 or whatever it was. It was like Houston didn't even belong in round two. Yeah, they torched Houston. Houston has no pass rush. You can throw on them. They're the kind of team that you could score 28 points on in a quarter. This Tennessee team's completely different. So I I think the fact that Casey looked so good last week is actually a benefit if you're thinking Tennessee. I hate when we agree, and it's usually a bad sign for everybody else who bet on the team we agree on but I'm taking Tennessee plus seven. So let's file that away. The other one, Niners-Packers, Niners laying seven and a half. I picked the Niners to win the Super Bowl right before the Super Bowl and wagered on it. I tried to get cute last week, took Minnesota with the points, thinking the Niners would win by three or four or whatever. That was dumb. I have a lot of regrets about that one. I think the Niners are the best team. I do not want to bet against them at home. My issue is that the seven and a half is frightening. Um, your feelings on this one?
3: Uh, first, a question: What's the latest on Kittle? Well, i unless
0: his arm is ripped off by a train or something. Kittle's playing; he he will be out okay. there.
3: All right, right. I just want to make sure that that's the case.
0: That's one tough mf'er.
3: So I I just have a bad read on San Francisco all season long. I feel like I've been on the wrong side of them, um, virtually the the entire season. I thought the Vikings were very uh, prepared to be competitive in that game, and then seven straight three and outs—the most unimaginative uh, game plan on offense that you 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 can imagine, but. The thing that I was also reminded, the San Francisco defense is so fast. Yeah. I don't they might have the fastest defense of of all the teams remaining. They just there it's like a a whole defense of 240-pound linebackers, it feels like, that can all run four, three forties. Well, you know why you forgot?
0: Uh, You forgot because they were banged up and and guys were either playing hurt or just not playing. And they didn't really have their defense for a few weeks. I was so impressed that. I don't think Minnesota's offensive line was that great, but I was so impressed with how they were able to pressure cousins without ever doing any gimmicks. You know, when when you can rush the passer with just four guys and that's it, and they know which four guys it is, and you're still getting pressure, that's when you have an awesome defense, not to mention all the other guys they have, but that's my fear if if I'm Green Bay, because they did it to them in the last game. And Schrager was talking about, well, they, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna happen again in the next game. I just can't shake the feeling that I've had all year that the Packers are not very good. I've never thought they were that good of a team. I always thought they were good for about two and a half quarters, which I said last week and was born out again in that Seahawks game where they played two and a half good quarters and then they held on. I don't think they – I think they'd have to play four quarters to beat the Niners really well, and I don't think they can do it.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And the Seahawks had a dozen different opportunities to both win that game, and more importantly, for our purposes, cover. Yeah, they even had a two points.
0: I thought we made the yeah. right pick. And, I, and by the way, the Seahawks weren't good. So
3: the Seahawks were not good.
0: So we're in this position that I hate in the playoffs, where I really feel like one team's going to win, but that seven and a half is scary, and I'm just going to do it and and lay the seven and a half. I don't feel great about it, I,
3: but. I don't. Unfortunately, we we are in agreement, and you know oh, there are some. some I hate some when we agree to this. Damn well, it! Look, the, the, this is the the problem is when I'm in this position in the, in the same place as you, where I need to look at at some co- context to try and tip me one way or the other. The Packers are one five and one against the spread in their last seven games against the Niners. The uh, Niners. Ten and two straight up in their last twelve games as a favorite. Green Bay three twelve and one straight up in its last sixteen games as an underdog. Now, not, those straight up stats don't factor into the the half point that we're scared about. Um, but I, I I just think this is going to be kind of the the, the coronation for Kyle Shanahan, his moment. That's how I feel. Shanahan. Too. Against either Vrabel or Andy Reid, both of those are good stories for the Super Bowl. I honestly think this is terrible for for the poor Niners. I'm sorry, Niners fans. I think the Niners are going to kick Green Bay's ass. I think they're I think they're a better team.
0: I think we're either going to go two and zero or zero and two. There will be one close game and one blowout. We are banking on Tennessee to be the close game. Can I throw out a plus three seventy six parlay for you? Oh, I'm listening. I'm listening. San Francisco versus Tennessee in the Super Bowl, plus 376.
3: I mean, it's 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 worth half a unit. It's worth 50 bucks.
0: Okay. Some other props. What do you think? Yeah. I'm, I'm filing it away. Plus 376. If you feel like we're gonna have a Tannehill versus Jimmy G Super Bowl. <laughs> the uh the state farm super bowl mahomes versus rodgers yes that is plus 385 so we plus what plus 385 chiefs pack, wait 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 chiefs packers
3: oh packers yeah nah, i'm not going for that i'm not going for that oh well, of
0: course not we just picked the other two things some other props for you Mahomes will have the most passing yards this weekend. Minus one hundred
3: and forty. I mean, I kind of like it.
0: Who's throwing for more yards than him? Let's play it out.
3: Not pa- Ryan Tannehill. Not Rodgers. No. Well, let's that that's the one that scares me. Why not Rodgers? If they're if they're, if they're down, down behind, okay, you're 40 right. Forty to yeah, forty to seven.
0: It's like how Lamar ended up with 350 yards and 100 rushing yards and nobody could remember it. Yes. Up. Yes, and 12 points. Most rushing yards for the weekend. Derrick Henry is minus 200. Aaron Jones plus 275.
3: It's almost worth 50 bucks on Aaron Jones just as a know, green bay hedge. I'm well, staying away but it's worth it. It's a, it's kind of we're talking I don't want it's a waste of 50 bucks but yeah.
0: Well, you can put your own 50 bucks on it.
3: it, I've said goodbye to far greater numbers than that.
0: Most receiving yards, I'm going to flag this one. Debo Samuel, 12 to 1. I have really, really, really enjoyed and liked what I've seen from him the last eight weeks. And uh, 12 to 1 seems high. So there you go on that. Could you see a world where... 7 for 135, and that carries the weekend. I don't
3: know. Right, sure.
0: Derrick Henry will score one touchdown, minus 185.
3: I like that. Ooh. Can you parlay that with the leading the weekend in rushing yards? You should be able to parlay that. That's not stacking.
0: I don't think... Yeah, that sounds illegal. That sounds like one of those bets that you try to do and gets turned down all over the place. Mahomes... (laughs) Mahome's touchdown passes minus two and a half. So they bumped it up a half from last week after we forgot to bet uh just the straight- up version of it last week. That's plus one ten. Travis Kelsey touched one
3: ten for over two and a half.
0: yeah, three three Mahome's touchdowns, basically, plus one ten. Because
3: hmm.
0: you can't throw two and a half touchdowns. I checked. Travis Kelsey <laughs> minus one ten will score one touchdown. Aaron Rodgers will throw an interception, plus 110. He does in his playoff history, when he does throw interceptions, it's on the road.
3: On the road. You beat me to it. That's Out of all these so far, that's the one I like the best.
0: Devontae Adams will score a touchdown, plus 115. Titans Chiefs will score five and a half touchdowns combined. That's the number, five and a half. Seems like a lot.
3: Six. I don't like it.
0: So we like. You're saying you like Henry to score a touchdown, combined with Aaron Rodgers to throw a pick.
3: Oh, I do like. Those are my two favorite. Right. Did, th- those are the ones that I like. Yes.
0: Okay, house. That is plus two twenty four. Really? Henry Better TD than two to one odds. Henry TD with the Rodgers pick. Are we doing that? let's do that. That sounds like a million dollar pick, buddy. Okay. Here's what we're doing. Million dollar picks. Conference championship round. And we get to actually watch this together, which I, that gives me faith. When we're together, we usually win. I just want to point that out. That is true. When we're together, that is true. good things usually happen. So we're going to put, um, we'll go light on the, um, we'll go 200 K. On Titans plus seven and 200K on the Niners minus seven and a half as the two straight up picks. Okay. But then we're going 300K on a Titans Niners Super Bowl plus 376. Yes. yes. We're taking a fucking swing. Let's do it. And then we're putting 200K. Derek Henry will score a touchdown, and Aaron Rodgers will throw a pick. Parlay plus two twenty four. How's that sound to you? I feel
3: like the, the the gambling gods want to show us that they still love us after what they did to us last week.
0: And I think we have to do a Debo Samuel bet because I just okay. he's my guy this weekend. I can't explain it. Great. Debo Samuel, over under receiving yards, 50 and a half. Oh, <laughs> let's do it. 200K, <laughs> on, 200K on Debo to get to 51 yards, parlayed with me saying to you and Kyle 700 times that the Patriots could have drafted him instead of Nikhil Harry. Followed by Kyle going, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Nikhil Harry is going to be good. We're fine. Don't <clears throat> say that. He's good. He'll be fine. We just need one more year with them. So yeah, that's our last parlay. So there you go. That's million dollar uh, picks for week nine, week twenty.
3: It's a great, it's a great menu of of picks. My my last question for you before I go, and you don't have to answer right now. Start thinking about the menu for us watching these football games together, buddy. I'm hungry. There's rumors.
2: I
0: was gonna save this for last. There's rumors. Heavy rumors, lots of rumors right now of Dave Chang coming over and bringing food from Koreatown for both games. Oh, wow. Just rumors right now. It's been Wow. Cir- it's been circulating in the internet. It's been in the dark web. It's been like where, you know, in the Anon, whatever, the QAnon, whatever those are called, the Q-nan, dark, dark web. Q-anons. In the dark, dark web, there's been lots of rumors of Dave Chang bringing food to us and watching the games with us.
3: So I don't know if that's true to to bring that to the real web. I want that on the real web. (laughs) We'll see. I want that to see the light of day. All right. Uh, Good luck to both of us. I'll see you on
0: Sunday. I can't wait. Okay. The mother of dragons is coming in one second. First, you know, square, they make that little white reader that helps lots of businesses around your neighborhood. Take credit cards like Kyle's barber. Fernando now on Twitter.
1: Fern studios on Twitter.
0: Fern Studios, at Fern Studios. Yeah. Does he pho- does he Photoshop, or does he put <laughs> photos of uh his, haircuts?
3: His first picture is my haircut.
0: Really? Yeah. There you go. Well, guess what? We pay Fernando with Square, and I say we because my son Ben goes there too. Here's the thing a lot of people don't know. Square makes so much more than the card reader. Running and growing a business takes a lot of work. That's why Square is great. They can't do all that work for you, but... They can help with a lot more of a business than you'd think. Things like point of sale, online stores, full service payroll, invoices, you can send from anywhere. And remember their payments are still the best in the business. No long-term contracts, no weird fees. You always get your money fast. There's really so much more Square can do to help your business run and grow. See all the ways Square can take your business from Square One to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS. All right, we are bringing in Mallory. All right, so I was going to not do this this week cuz we we were set on football talk and mm-hmm. I know how traumatized you were. But then we talked it out and we we're like, "Actually, people would think A, you were ducking the podcast, I would or never. B, you had a mental breakdown."
4: That's close. So, to Mallory Rubin
0: is here. Um you said <laughs> Sunday was quote, "one of the most disappointing moments of my life."
4: You know, I did say that and I recognize that Saying that makes me sound like an entitled brat and an asshole, which I'm comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it was true. Certainly as a sports fan, it was one of the most disappointing days of my life. And I had allowed myself to believe that the Ravens were going to win the Super Bowl. I had also, mostly out of self-preservation, but also really thinking that it was possible, talked myself into the Titans winning that game, as you as you know from our conversation and then last week. I backed week.
0: off after I made the case to you. <sighs>
4: Didn't make it any easier to actually watch it unfold in real time. Very painful. However, I still love the team and I'm grateful for the season.
0: Well, plus now you're the NFL's Houston Rockets. Great advanced metrics team that looks awesome in the regular season. Then the playoffs come around and you'd fall apart.
4: This is rude. <laughs> I knew that would bother you. I heard you say that on Sunday night on your pod and it was upsetting.
0: Lamar is James Harden. He's doing things we've never seen before. Just don't ask to see them in the finals of a, of a sport.
4: This is not true or fair. I will take the, is James Harden comp in the sense that he's a perennial MVP candidate. He should and an grow innovator. a giant beard
0: like James Harden does.
4: I'm sure it will look great. I'm not going to let you get to me. Here's the thing you have to understand. This Raven season has made me realize a lot of things about myself and about fandom. And some of them have been very distressing, but some of them have led to growth and maturation.
5: Personal growth.
4: <laughs> exactly. And I do find myself at the end of this focusing more on what a joy it was to watch Lamar and Ingram and your boy Gus Buss and Hollywood Buss. and Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews and Humphrey and Judon and everyone all season long and to see what the analytics team was able to do and the innovative nature of how DaCosta built the build and executed the plan and how every single person in the franchise opted in and together they worked as a team with a united vision. And I found myself grateful for that. And.
0: And plus Mina had to cut off her penis. <laughs> that was fun too.
4: <laughs> we exchanged some wonderful text messages with her after the She's game. She's not
0: penisless. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well. The that that's, you know, now I find myself in a position where I have to, I have to decide whether I'm rooting for the Titans because you want the team that beat you to go all the way so that you feel like basically like you were you were in the you were in the way of destiny. There was nothing that you could have done. Flip side of it is I think an obvious one. I I kind of need Mahomes to get his title now. Oh. Get it out of the way. Right. And then clear 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 the decks, let Lamar take over again next year because The thing that you would fear from a Chiefs-Mahomes run is an obvious one. It's the narrative swing. But thanks to many people, including you, that's already happening. (laughs) That's already the thing that people are talking about in the wake of the game, which was one of the things that that really led to such a severe and instant sense of dread for me as the loss was unfolding. It was not just that I wasn't going to see this team win a Super Bowl. It was that it was so fucking predictable what every talking point, was going to be in the wake of it. And of yeah. course, that's all unfolded perfectly described. I'd like
0: to think I helped contribute to it.
4: You did. You did your part.
0: Well, I was thinking about- Act
4: one, scene one.
0: <laughs> in the mid 90s, where everybody thought Leo was the golden boy for a while. Mm-hmm. But then Stephen Dorff had kind of a moment.
4: Are you kidding me right now? And then
0: and then it was like, well, maybe it's Stephen Dorff. And then Titanic came out and Leo and then that and Stephen Dorff. I don't know what happened to him. I just hope Lamar doesn't turn out to be Steven Dorf. That's that's what I want to tell you. I wanted to say that I wanted you to hear from me and not from somebody else. Steven Dorf was an MVP candidate at one point in his career. No,
4: True Detective season season three, right? No, Steven
0: Dorf, <laughs> <laughs> big comeback,
4: deputy <laughs> about to drop.
0: When did you? Kyle's nodding. When you saw. Lamar during the many times they showed him in the first half mm-hmm. when he had that look like what the fuck is going on in mm-hmm. his face at what point did you get truly frightened
4: I I was frightened before the game even started and from the moment that things started to go wrong it felt like something was happening in the universe that was beyond control of anyone on the field
0: Football's the worst when that happens
4: Yeah and
0: it's, it's so weird with the football game where you know almost in the first 5 minutes like this is it's like being at a blackjack table where you're just like Oh man, this is just going badly. I should get up.
4: So, you know, the thing that was particularly troubling about the weekend I think is that of course, the script started to unfold in similar fashion in the Texans Chiefs game and then the Chiefs were able to mount the comeback. Yeah. So then you lose a little bit of the ground on which you'd like to stand when you want when you want to say, well, sometimes it just it just falls apart so quickly that there's no way to come back. Of course there is a way to come back. We saw it happen the next day. That said, I think the nature of the loss, it was just one of those things that it, even though it never felt like they were going to be able to crawl, claw their way back into the game, it doesn't actually make sense that it happened the way it did. And that's because every single thing that defined the nature of the Ravens' success all season long, every single thing went wrong. Everything, everything that had gone right the whole year went wrong. And so I certainly you're, Hold on, you're your, talking about
0: the Rockets or the Ravens.
4: <laughs> you're within your rights to ask if that's a matter of preparation or anything else, the ability to execute the game plan in the playoffs, whatever. But, you know, you, you can you can pick any number of examples. And the fourth down thing felt very emblematic to me. That was a differentiator for them all year. It wasn't just about the playmakers they had on the field, the play call, the nature of the game plan. It was the fact that from every individual person on the roster and every individual coach on the staff to the front office and how they draft and who they sign, everything is about being in a position to go for it, like to play the game that way. And. They succeeded consistently, not only because they knew how to execute well, but because they were committed to doing that all the time. Like it's an attitude and a mindset, it's not just a decision in the moment, right? And
0: that's how I play video games.
4: So, okay, (laughs) I have a mindset. There you go. You know, when you boot up the controller, exactly how you're going to play. And it just all of a sudden was gone. Fourth and one, you can't get it more than once in the same game. I don't know what to do when things like that are happening. Also, plenty of people out there are gonna.
0: We don't need to rehash last week's game. It was a bad game.
4: That's my point. It was a bad game. You had a bad game, but
0: you—I sent you a lot of pie the next day, though.
4: You did. You sent me nine slices of pie. They're delicious. But I only sent you one pumpkin. Your husband ate them. He did. It did did make me
0: think, like Postmates and Caviar, (laughs) they should do a better job with when you're gifting other people food. Yeah. It should be more obvious than just this food randomly gets delivered to your door. And unless the other person tells you, you don't know where it came from. Yes. Because it is really easy to send somebody else food. Oh,
4: sure. Absolutely. So they should have
0: a little gift element to it.
4: An alert? Come on. You texted me and said, I believe the way you phrased it was, I'm dropping something off in a few minutes. Yeah. Quickly walk you through. You didn't know if it was quickly like, walk you through what unfolded in those three minutes between when you sent that text and when oh, you the, thought I was
0: actually coming over. You
4: were on your way in the flesh to my home. So Adam and I had been on the couch. I was doing work. You're, we were both Adam, in pajamas. Clothes on. Exactly. So we have to get dressed immediately. <laughs> I was like, clean up the house. It's a mess. Open the windows. Let's get some fresh air circulating. Brush halo. Bill's gonna meet halo. Been waiting for this day for so long. And then you didn't come. But I was, was trying there. to think
0: of, I was putting myself in your shoes. You know, I've won a lot of titles this century, mm-hmm. but I've I've had some bad losses too. Yeah, we've too. heard. But um, it reminded me that Ravens game of game six Celtics Miami 2012 mm-hmm. when we beat them in game five. And then game six was going to be this coronation in Boston. I flew back for it. This is it. This Today is our magical holiday when we finally broke it in yeah. LeBron once and for all. And then he came out and killed us. And you knew right away, and that's what the Ravens came around. and moved. Before we go, though, I want to talk about cheating—not cheating with on your spouse. No, of course not. Baseball Baseball. cheating. And I can't
4: believe you're not gonna you're you're not gonna issue formal support for Lamar before we move on.
0: Oh, I'm I'm pro Lamar. I think he needed to he needed to have one. He needs to learn from it.
4: The dropped passes. The leadership
0: part of it needs to be a big piece of who he becomes going forward. When this is going wrong.
4: You rally the troops I'm the on the guy. sideline.
0: We got this. Don't worry. I have absolutely. He just wasn't in that situation before. I have
4: absolutely no doubt in his ability to embrace that aspect of his continued growth because he he is, he he is holds himself accountable consistently for what goes wrong. And he will come in next season wanting to do better. There's nothing you can do about the fact that Derrick Henry be, became Tim Tebow in that Especially game. Especially
3: you
0: had eight guys in the box that was still running about. But And
4: the fucking little jump pass in the red zone. I mean, the uh, you know. Uh, anyway. Well, they okay. added... um.
0: They added Lamar to Madden KO, my son's favorite game.
4: Yeah,
0: on the Madden um, 2020 or whatever it is, the KO where you—it's like this, basically these quick games, mm-hmm. and they have legends in there, and they added Lamar as like a
4: there you go
0: new legend. I and he's terrifying. So he's got that also. I'm
4: sincerely hopeful that we can all push through this little recency bias bout and not forget that we just witnessed one of the most astonishing seasons in the history of the sport.
0: Yeah, nobody will remember. So cheating. (laughs) Yeah, Um, what a time
4: in baseball. I
0: lost my manager and I really liked him. I liked him personally.
4: You loved Alex Cora. I liked him
0: as as just a human being. I thought he was an amazing manager. And within a week, he's disgraced. And his only chance now is to get hired by ESPN to be with A-Rod.
4: Oh, I don't know. I I mean. They hired A-Rod. Who's a bigger cheater than him? The guy's a serial liar and cheater. Well. He works for ESPN. We'll see what Alex Corr's ban is. I mean, at some point you become so toxic that everyone has to stay away from you for at least a little while. I'm
0: not saying it. Alex Corr, if you're listening, I'll give you a podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) would <laughs> be great.
4: What should what should you call this? It? Like the trash the can the Alex Kors banging Kors on a trash can.
0: Yeah, tr- trash can bagging with Alex. What was it? that
4: old Doug song? <laughs> Kyle, did you watch Doug? Yeah, banging on a trash can. Yeah, I
3: saw that. Yeah.
4: Drawing on the street light. Anyway. So, Kyle knows what we're talking yeah. about. We're
0: taping this on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon. There's a whole thing today with Altuve yeah, and hiding his jersey. Don't
4: forget Beltron got fired this morning. Beltran I mean, every fired. five minutes there is a new wave to this story. This,
0: the Mets fantasy finally had a manager who was fired up about I and know. the guy got fired and didn't even win a game.
4: I have to say that of all of the of all of the the aspects of the story, which is evolving, literally by the second. Yeah the Mets
0: just being involved
4: the Mets saying excuse us
0: oh yeah. <laughs> we
4: prize integrity above all we the well cannot be associated with anything nefarious or foul is actually something that defies comprehension and belief I can't believe it I can't be-
0: I mean, can you imagine if they'd been involved in the Bernie Madoff scandal?
4: I know. If only they'd Holy been involved shit. in a national pyramid scheme at some point. God. Whew.
0: It was really rich. It's amazing. I really liked Alex Cora. My team has no manager and it's mid-January. Um, I now have another asterisk on another title from other fans. I To me, it's like we won. You mm-hmm. can't say anything that makes me change. But basically, the only team I have that no who's giving me shit can make fun of and say you cheated to win that one is the 08 Celtics. So I really hope that the KG doesn't have some <laughs> PED scandal belatedly 20 years later.
4: He made it through the uncut gems press tour intact. I think yeah, he's probably he did, fine at this okay. point. <laughs> but
0: it was like that Red Sox title, because the other three, which people like to point at Manny and Poppy, which mm-hmm. I and I have defenses for all, but don't worry. Okay. But people will still point and be like, ah, oh, you cheated, Manny and Poppy. And i like, well, Poppy, New York Times. They never said what the substance was and many I mean, it was happened after. But this 18 one was pretty pure.
4: Mm-hmm. So pure.
0: And now our so disgrace pu- manager. So purely
4: <laughs> orchestrated by the mastermind of the Astros sign-stealing scandal. Yeah, it's
0: not great. It's not great. I'm I wonder, pretty conflicted.
4: I wonder if there's a, any end point for this, for baseball, because it was absurd from the jump. And I think that if you're a baseball fan, you've probably gone through some sort of cycle with how you're processing and responding to this. You know, one of responding the phases to the cheating scandal, to, or
0: to just cheating in general,
4: to this specific scandal. Okay. And I, but I think that question is actually is is fundamental because you know when we talked about this on your pod when this was when when the, the athletic report came out, I think initially, yeah, the part of the whole unwritten rules culture of baseball is that some stuff is in bounds and if you're not trying to do it then you're not trying at all the the specifics at play with what happened in Houston and then the fact that it was Houston and everything else that has happened with that franchise and all of the other scandals
0: the biggest villain we have
4: that have touched them yeah that obviously started to filter into how people process it. I think undoubtedly that was part of what was on Manfred's mind when he issued the the punishments like the, the, the yeah. Jeff Lunlow, the GM getting his suspension and Hinch, obviously the manager was also suspended. Then the Astros are the ones who fired both of them. Uh, uh, you know, our baseball team has written about this, talked about it on the pod. Seems very clear that everything else that had happened with Houston in recent years was also in some way contributing to what happened there. But then when you just think about the sign stealing aspect of it, the way that other pitchers are coming out now and and basically saying, I think it was maybe Alex Wood today who said, I'd rather face a, a batter on steroids than someone who knows what pitch I'm about to throw. Like
2: mm, the, the impact- me too.
4: Yeah, the impact that it has on the game in that sense is substantial. I think a fascinating thing that's unfolding is the Dodgers aspect of this.
0: Well, I wanted to talk about that. I have some Dodger fan friends.
4: Yeah, they're struggling.
0: They're devastated. <laughs> Yes. I had one Dodger fan friend who said the game in 17 in the World Series when they were up and then Kershaw Mm -hmm. and they just left the game. They were like, that was unbelievable. It was like they knew what pitches were coming almost. Um,
4: Almost. Yeah.
0: But then you think about Kershaw and Darvish too, which you made that point as well, where you have these two guys who their careers were altered by how bad they did in the postseasons.
4: Yeah. Their careers and their legacies.
0: And now I think we're 100% confident the Astros at least knew what pitches were coming in some cases. It's pretty fucked up.
4: Yeah. So, and when is
0: Kershaw going to say something? This is his one chance to be like, this is not fair. I have been tainted by this. I wear the scarlet letter of the playoffs, and these guys were cheating against me.
4: I think a couple things, I'll be fascinated to see if he says anything. I think a couple things might prevent him from from saying anything like that. None of which if, should.
0: If, but if the Dodgers were doing stuff If too. the Dodgers,
4: exactly. And the Brewers accused the Dodgers of stealing signs last playoffs.
0: Do you think this is one of those things where just everybody does it? And like in football, yeah, when the offensive coordinators started covering their mouths with the playbook totally. and it was like 15 years ago and I was like, why are they doing that? It's because everybody was cheating?
4: I think the answer to that question is yes. I think that the nature in which each individual organization is is cheating probably varies and that, that again i think i think it was i think bauman made this point this week and and Limburg too, when you think about the Astros and how they represent this decade in baseball, you take the good with the bad. And part of the Astros' legacy is that they were the best at everything. And they were the best at cheating. Mm. And that's part of why they got caught, ultimately, is because they were so brazen. This whole, we can do anything that you can do better, we're the smartest, pushed them to the point where eventually they got caught. The Kershaw thing...
0: You feel bad for
4: him. It's crushing. It's honestly crushing because I think that I think that he would probably be the first to say that you could not isolate his bad games to just these experiences. True, and that that's, he, he that's true. he sucked against many playoff teams. I mean, as recently as this past postseason, <laughs> right. you know. But at some point, with Kershaw in particular, it felt like there was just this compounding variable where the fact that he kept finding himself in this position where this was the discussion point around him and this was the thing he couldn't push through. Yeah. You know, the 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 effect at a certain point was exponential. And so I think that's a fair thing to ask is if things go differently in 2017 against the Astros or in 2018 when he's facing Alex Cora's Red Sox, does that then allow him to get back onto a better path at some point?
0: So he pitches... He pitches against them game one of the World Series 2017. Mm-hmm. Seven shutout innings. Oh, no. Seven one-run innings. 11 strikeouts. He's awesome. And he's 3-0 and for the playoffs at that point.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Game five gets shelled. Yeah. That was the 13-12 and the game. Right. And he pit last four and two-thirds, six.
4: And where was that one?
0: Six runs. That
4: was in Houston. Yes, it was. So that's tough. Um, Dylan Hernandez wrote a piece in the L.A. Times and the, I would I would recommend whether you're a Dodgers fan or not checking out the L.A. Times coverage of this. Yeah, it's been remarkable. Dylan Hernandez wrote a piece that this is a, a loose paraphrase of what he wrote. I I don't want to act like I'm quoting this verbatim or anything, but there were a lot of lines in there that were. um cruel things that people had said about you, Darvish. And the the spoiler alert, the punchline of the column is basically they're all things that he had written, that that Dylan Hernandez had written oh, about him. Okay, And he's, ba- he's basically like,
0: Little column gimmick. I
4: feel like shit about this now. Yeah. And you, Darvish, has been very open about his struggles after that postseason and how hard it was for him to cope with Being branded as a failure with somebody being becoming somebody who people talked about as someone who couldn't actually follow through on what his worth and ability was supposed to be. He did send a tweet. It was in typical in typical Darvish fashion. It was charming and it was funny. He said, if the Dodgers are planning a 2017 World Series parade, I would love to join. (laughs) So if that is in the works, can someone make a you garbage jersey for me? So he's being self-deprecating uh, about it. It's kind of sad, co- it's, it, But it is heartbreaking. You know, Ben Lindbergh wrote a piece for us um, back in November assessing what actually the benefits of sign sealing are. You know, we, we know this happened, but do we know that whether it worked? And interestingly, throughout the reporting process around this and in the report itself, that has been kind of left unclear is what impact did this actually have? But I think it's at the point where you kind of have to
0: say. It seems like the home and away splits are pretty damning. Like that Darvish game, game mm -hmm. three at Houston, he lasted five outs, Mm -hmm. six hits, four runs, one walk. And you think like, it just makes you rethink everything that's happened. So even the Altuve walk-off against Chapman, which was... Probably the single coolest baseball moment of last year, and one of the best replays, and had the iconic freeze frame image, which was in a freeze frame of Chapman with that dumb smile on his face for 10 seconds. And that yeah. dumb smile had to have been, I can't believe you knew I was going to throw a change up there. You motherfucker, you, right. you're stealing signs, is how now I interpret that weird look. Before right. it was just like, wow, that was a great hit. Right. Now it's like, you motherfucker.
4: Did you see the Boris comment on why Altuve didn't want to take his jersey off? Because this has been the, the latest Because there's this
0: other clip about where they ripped his jersey off.
4: Right. And then there's this whole, like, this whole, the whole slew of stuff on social media. Well, the Josh Reddick reading. one's
0: pretty damning, though.
4: Well, Josh Reddick's wife has <laughs> since tweeted that it was confetti. <laughs> Flesh-colored confetti? confetti.
0: He looked like he was in The Irishman with a wire on.
4: So- <laughs> It's what it is. So this is a Joel Sherman tweet from Thursday afternoon, Scott Boris quote about Altuve. And I, as far as I can tell, this is real. Yeah. I asked Boris about Altuve not wanting to have his shirt ripped off as he came to home plate to end the ALCS. And Boris said, that is the shyness of Jose Altuve.
0: Mm, who if
4: you do a Google image search, a Getty image search, anything for shirtless Altuve, you will instantly have about 500 photos available right. to you. I His mean,
0: shirt's off right now.
4: That, that Listen is to this, absurd. <laughs> you have to be able to come up with a better defense than that. Are you kidding? So I think that's one of the questions is, you know, one of the things in Manfred's report was that the players were not going to be punished as part of this be- for, for various reasons, some of which were stated clearly, some of which I think were left open to interpretation they had to get the players to talk. They had to get them to tell them what had happened. and so, Or threaten
2: them
0: with a yeah, suspension. Yeah,
4: basically offered them some version of immunity to cooperate. Also... Well, but but think about this, though. They're with other teams. So you're going to punish other teams well, but now, that's et cetera. The, but
0: that's the other teams part of this is what I think is so insane that they thought this could work. Right. If we, like, let's say the Ringer.
4: Okay.
0: Let's say we had this whole scheme. Mm-hmm. Can't say scheme. Scheme.
4: Scheme. Where, the thought.
0: where we figured out a way to completely goose our page views, our podcast numbers, our YouTube things. It was just all artificially enhanced by four times as much. And everybody who worked for us knew. Mm-hmm. And we did this and we were able to sell ads for hire. And it just was this scheme right. that we knew if anyone ever found out, it would be just incredibly damaging. Well, how would somebody find out? If somebody leaves the company and goes to a competitor and was right. like, hey, you know what they do over there? They do this. In baseball, you have turnover all the time. Every year. Right. So how do they think that out of the 10 of 15 guys who lead the team every year, not one of them is gonna be like, hey, we're playing the Astros this week, just so you guys know right. they have this whole system with the blah blah blah. Well, like that's what's so idiotic about this. But that
4: is what happens. I, know. I mean, Mike Fires, a player is the one who ultimately blew the whistle and revealed all of this to the Athletic with the initial report. He
0: should have because he was probably playing the Astros. Going fuck, we have to pitch in Houston. I'm going to get shelled. Yeah,
4: but then so what does what does Major League Baseball do now? Because it seemed like you know part of part of the reason that the punishment, the initial punishment against the Astros earlier this week was as harsh as it was, and you certainly could say it wasn't harsh enough, but comparatively speaking, it was as harsh as it was, is because. Manfred had warned teams in 2017, and then the Astros had continued to do this in the f- it flying in the face of uh, a specific ad- admonishment and warning to to not do this. So part of the explanation that has since been revealed when issuing the punishment is that the players aren't going to be sanctioned in any way. But if new information is coming out, if the buzzer thing ends up being real, you
0: think he could do a 180?
4: I just I just don't know how you don't. Then go ahead and punish that if it is if it is indisputable at a certain point. I actually I think-, think it would
0: be worse for that player than if it a uh, steroids thing, because I think there is enough people doing steroids and PDs that there was a whole well yeah you, you know everybody else is doing it. you kind of had to. In this case, you become the buzzer guy.
4: So okay, I'm, but I'm, if it
0: comes I'm, out like Alex Bregman, I'm just naming a good Astro right. mm-hmm. that for the last three years he had a buzzer on his nipple. Yep, that just electrocuted him every time a changeup was coming. That's going to, that's, he carries that for the rest of his life. Yeah. In a way deeper way than, oh, I just used this banned substance.
4: Well, it's of a piece with the steroids thing in the sense that it's ultimately all about trying to get an edge, right? And trying to position yourself to succeed and boost your numbers in some way. I think that you're right that in people's minds, this seems like almost greedier, I guess, or shadier in a way. Like there's something just kind of lame and pathetic about it that I think will be hard for people to get beyond it in their minds. And that ultimately, you know, there's an Astros point here and then there's a, a bigger picture point about baseball, which I think is important to talk about for a second with the Astros. You can't take the title away. They won the championship. Same thing with the Red Sox, with the core aspect of this. And I think that there's an interesting comparison to make there to something like a college football scandal where, you know, think about USC and Reggie Bush you know, and the, the mm. asterisk. That, oh, vacated Heisman, vacated title. In in people's minds, in sports fans' minds, it doesn't matter that the NCAA said to vacate those titles. The, so it,
0: you're saying if they vacated the Astros' title,
4: I'm saying it makes no fucking difference.
0: I still feel like they won they the World won Series because we watched the World exactly. Series. Exactly. I agree. And with
4: you. so it happened, and in that sense, there is an aspect of this where you would be within your rights as a fan to say, "Well, why would any team or player stop this?" Because at the end of the day, if it works and you win the championship. Flags fly forever, right?
0: Well, but hold on before you go to the second part of that point. Is vacating this World Series-
4: I don't think there's any chance.
0: You think there's no chance?
4: Something astonishing would have to be revealed still at this point. I, I just- Part of the reason that there's no chance is because and this is- I, I promise this is not a shot at the Dodgers. I don't have any theory about the Dodgers in particular, but- to the earlier point, we don't really know what the extent of this is across sure. the sport, and so what are you going to do? Vacate the, the the Astros' title, award it to the Dodgers retroactively, and then find out in six months that the Dodgers were doing this? You could or make the like same case I mean, for college football, though. You could. Everyone cheats all but over
0: the place. Of college football.
4: Exactly, though. So that that's that's what I wanted to say is that you don't want to work your way towards something where you're you're in any way mimicking the NCAA. I mean, the good, the good apparatus point. of that's justice and punishment yeah. in college sports is a disaster in almost every respect. And that's why like something like the the A.J. Hinch aspect of this, where on the one hand, he looks kind of like a just kind of like a like a little bit of a coward because he clearly was opposed to this, didn't want his team to do it. One of the most astounding details in the report is that he bashed the replay monitor. He broke the monitor twice so that they couldn't do this. That was his way of trying to get them to stop. But he never just said Stop. Or and I'm multiple players everybody. in the report said that if he had just said stop, they would have. Now, whether that's true or not, I think is a reasonable question to ask. But his, his suspension felt to me very akin to um, like a lack of institutional control or a show cause punishment for- Which is
0: why most of these people go down. Exactly. Politics, sports, you, whatever. It was
4: happening on your watch and you didn't know. It's negligence.
0: Two, two quick things before we go. Yes. One, the Astros, it's not the triple crown because there's more things than just three. But they really checked all the boxes yeah. for how to become the most loathsome franchise in any sport. Uh, they had terrible. the Asuna stuff. Yep. The 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 guy in the front office mm-hmm. um harassing people from female media members for
4: Taubman. really yep.
0: no reason at all just to be a fucking dick, which is would have been weird in 1989, much less 2019. Um,
4: that was in Manfred's report, by stuff, the way. cheating stuff was just the, the culture, the toxic culture right. that they were in The, stu- the other stuff they did
0: with draft picks and all, and, and, uh, and rookies and all that stuff. The only thing they've really missed here is a PD thing. They're one thing short. Like, that's the last piece.
4: It's baseball. Give it time, you know?
0: We need that for it to really be like, okay, now if we have the documentary, and oh, yeah. by the way, this will be a documentary oh, for somebody for at some sure. point, just... The people that pushed it too far.
4: Let's get on Beltron working on it right now. It's basically like Enron. So it's Enron as a
0: sports team, right? The t- the people that are just going, we need any edge we can get. Right. We don't care. All we all that matters is that we win the title. Right. Do what it takes.
4: This is where you get to the bigger question about baseball. And where you shift from being able to kind of laugh at this and say, this is the weirdest sports scandal that I I can recall in a long time. This is just bizarre to actually having to take a step back and and think for a moment about what the impact on the sport is because the, uh, to, 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 to parrot a Zach Cram point here, you couple this with the juice ball and you are. And and then anything else you might mention, like steroids, anything else that's yeah. happening or has happened or could happen again. And you get to a point where you're entering the next season and you don't know what's real. We have lost the ability. And this was, a, Zach wrote a great piece in our year-end package back in December about uh, baseball is a story and now the ball is an unreliable narrator. You now couple it with something like this, where you're unsure of who has the information. Bauman made the gambling point. The MLB deal with MGM, what information can you trust? How does that impact gambling in the sport? When money is on the line, this becomes a much bigger deal. Do people trust the integrity of the product? And whether you want to get-
2: We
0: haven't even talked about juice balls and juice bats and it, all that stuff either.
4: Exactly. Whether you want to get kind of like sanctimonious about it and talk about the sanctity of the game is, is like a personal choice. But that's where this is heading. And it it, it it morphed very quickly from being something at the beginning of the week that felt, and I I say this acknowledging the fact that plenty of people probably would disagree with this, something that you could almost maybe talk yourself into being good for baseball, because it was getting people talking about the sport. It was getting people to engage with the sport and find it interesting in a way that like baseball Any needs. controversy
0: is good controversy? You know, yeah. no
4: bad press, right? And we've, I think, quite quickly moved out of that being true. <laughs>
0: No, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's going to be another shooter to drop with Cora. We don't even fully know what happened to 2018 Red Sox yet. I'm bracing myself. Jacko has been sending me plenty of texts. He was supposed to actually come on today, but he got sidetracked. So we're going to have him next week. But, you know, the, the Red Sox kind of own the Boston Globe. Not kind of, but they do. And there's a whole on your way out, here's a hit piece for you on the way out. And I just shudder what's going to happen to Alex Cora there's going to be a really bad piece about him and it's going to suck. And I really like that guy.
4: We're going to find out though, more specifics about what was happening with the Red Sox. And I'm sure that will not be the last thing that we learn. You know, again, like you said, it's sports. You're with one team and then you're not, you're somewhere else. And, the diaspora is vast. You know, I, I hesitate to even mention my own team, but Mike Elias, the GM of the Orioles, used to be the assistant GM for the Astros. Oh, it's like the Orioles are so irrelevant right now that nobody's even talking about them. But who knows, what, who knows what the number of franchises- 12,
0: 15 more good players, and you guys might be able to cheat your way into a World Series. Okay,
4: so I know you're being a dick, but uh, that you're making a valid point because that's, that's the last thing or one of the other things that's worth mentioning here. The Astros were the template team. Yeah. Uh, Now This was the blueprint for how to tank and rebuild in baseball now. Now what? That's not what you want to replicate anymore. There's one more
0: point on top of all of these points. Them during this season is going to be absolutely fascinating. No,
4: I mean, it's going to be a a mess. Let's say
0: Altuve starts out hitting
4: 2.15. Yeah
0: and it's it's just genuine he's just in a slump cuz of all this pressure but people are like oh, you're not getting the signs anymore like mm-hmm. it's going to suck for them unless they're awesome
4: and everybody's going to continue to parse jeered, every booed. detail from yeah. the past. Every photo in the locker room, everyone's going to be looking at the little bulges in their jerseys. What's a wire? What's taped? What's a buzzer? It, this is not going away. It's only going to get weirder. Well, it's here. actually,
0: in a weird way, probably is good for baseball with social media and stuff because otherwise nobody's talking about baseball right We're now. We're just
4: weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting, mm. folks.
0: Mal. <laughs> This is a pleasure as always. I really hope this isn't way worse for the 2018 Red Sox. I have my fingers crossed. Thanks for coming on. Sorry about Lamar.
4: I believe in Lamar forever.
0: (laughs) Call my dad in one second. First, wanted to remind you, Book of Basketball 2.0.
1: That
0: is happening this week. And if you're a Knicks fan, I would subscribe. That's one thing. Second, rewatchables. We have a hundred rewatchables episodes in the bank. So Chris Ryan and I, the next one, we will be doing the reheat. Did heat is the first one ever. We're doing heat again. Every hundred, we just do heat. It's part, it's part of the rules of the rewatchables. So you can, uh, you can listen to that. And by the way, speaking of Mallory, she is still doing binge mode Star Wars. There's only a couple episodes left. If you love Star Wars, I would check that out as well. My dad does not have a podcast. We've always joked about the blue plate special for him has not happened yet, but let's call him right now. I want to see what's going on in Boston. All right. Last but not least, anytime there's a massive Boston sports scandal of some sort, um, I always have to call my dad on the pod. Dad, we lost our manager. I don't know what the hell happened.
5: We only, we hardly knew you, Joey, um, Alex Cora. <laughs> I almost called him Joey.
0: We had Joey Cora too. I think we had.
5: Buck <laughs> I know we, we, we did. We did.
0: But, yeah. What
5: uh, What a, what a, what a two year run. Uh, I'm still in shock.
0: What is, what's it like there? What's the radio like? What's the press like? What's the TV like? What are the people like? What is the reaction in Boston?
5: Well, it's kind of interesting. If you watch the Mike Felder show, which I know you're very familiar with, he's of course extremely bad-mouthing the whole Red Sox ownership for not taking uh, responsibility during their press conference the other day.
0: It's true. They did also,
5: and for not firing Cora instead of this mutual parting of the ways. Um, I think the person on the street uh, who isn't that familiar with electronic stealing of signs and, you know, what does it all mean? You know, doesn't seem to be in the same ballpark as using steroids to most people. I think still views Cora as the manager who seemed to communicate best of any manager we've ever had yeah. led us to a World Series title. Um, and we had a lot of optimism for the upcoming season. And for all those reasons, most people feel he'll be terribly missed. Um, unless, on the other hand unless it comes still, out that
0: he was the ringleader of the two thousand eighteen well, Red Sox cheating in a whole bunch of different ways. I was ways. just
5: gonna say that, you know, if It was very interesting to watch the press conference and particularly Henry kind of sugarcoat what might be coming out about Mm. the Red Sox. And, you know, as a fan, I hope he's accurate. I hope it's not nearly on the level of what went on in Houston, but on every on any level, it's kind of a disaster as a Boston fan. I mean, we've already been terribly. Criticized for the Patriot stuff. And now we have this coming down the pike and it's tough. I think to be a, to be a uh, Boston fan right now with all the criticism across the country.
0: I know nobody Uh, feels sorry for us. So there's that too. You left out that there's a three-part Netflix documentary about Aaron Hernandez that premiered on Netflix this week. That by the way, was really good.
5: Um, I I haven't watched it. It, it got a a critical, good critical review up here. Um, yeah, turns out, you know, I think uh, to be candid, I don't think anybody up here probably wants to watch anything more, or hear anything more about Hernandez. Yeah. I would Um, would hope not.
0: Man, your house is,
5: what's going on at your house?
0: It's really (laughs) crazy over there.
5: Yeah. Busy time.
0: Um, Um, yeah, this is. Uh, I was saying Mallory was on before, and I was saying how at least the two thousand eight Celtics have been completely unsullied. Still, this is a totally genuine. Title, uh, still feeling really good about it. Nobody can throw any asterisks at us. Your phone won't stop ringing. Uh,
5: <laughs> but uh, I'd say i say the same thing as well about the, uh, the two thousand eleven bronze yeah. title. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. I, I texted you two days ago. It's just a very sad feeling here because Cora was so admired. Yeah, um, you know the, the stuff he did for charity, not just for Puerto Rico, but for charitable efforts in the uh, greater Boston area. Yeah, uh, he was very accessible. Uh, he, he, you know, he he uh, duck, didn't duck questions the way most of our former managers duck questions. He He's a straight shooter, uh, but now there's this like dark side that kind of just makes you kind of shake your head as a sports fan, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I don't... Mallory and I were just talking about how weird it is to think when you have this 25-player roster that 10 to 15 of the guys leave and go on another team a year later, why you would think this whole giant thing you're doing is, could be stayed secret no matter what. Well, yeah, I mean, we, you and I
5: talked about that. You know, on Houston, 2017. Yeah, it, it did they? They did not think it would come out. I mean, seems like and it now, would come out. Of course, out. you feel the same thing that three unidentified former Red Sox players on the championship team have come forward. Um, maybe their names will never be known, but uh, you just kind of shake your head. It's such a stupid, stupid thing to do. Um, yeah. You just shake your head. Uh, you know, it's the other thing about Cora. I think what was greatly admired about him was his character and his integrity. Yeah. And, and now you're, it's like we were being on character and integrity. I mean, what else is left? You, you know, those are very, very important things to me. Yeah. And, uh, you can't help but looking, look at Cora differently and,
0: just kind of shake your head about sports a little bit. I guess at least we have Brad Stevens. still got him. He seems uh, like he's got character and integrity.
5: He seems to. Seems to. I mean, I've always felt so.
0: We're so burned. Uh, We don't know who to trust anymore. Tom Brady's leaving. Kyle's all upset. (laughs) Tom Brady Uh, might go. It's it's definitely, this this could be a weird decade. I'm ready for a weird decade.
5: It's a weird time up here. I mean... On top of the fact that the Celtics got killed by the uh, Detroit Pistons last night, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, the Bruins have looked terrible lately, and the Red and the Sox are going started... down in flames. And we're not in the playoffs in football.
0: Yeah, so. we sat at a we sat at a round two in football. Maybe it's finally yeah. turned. Well, we had a great twenty years.
5: We had a great twenty years, but uh, I don't know to, to bring closure to the, the Cora episode. I, I'm just shaking my head. I just don't understand. How men with integrity and character, men or women, uh, can go down that path when it's so obvious that somebody's going to talk about it later? Yeah, it makes no sense. It's
0: true. Uh, well, at least you you love the Celtics team, so at least we have that.
5: I do. I do love the Celtics team. I'm I'm a little confused why they're so inconsistent. It, it seems like any time one of their starters doesn't play, we fall apart. Um, and, and obviously Tatum didn't play last night, missed the first game he's missed yeah. this year. And, uh, we, we look terrible.
0: Um, I think the NBA regular season, and there's always like an exception this year is the Bucks probably where they're just pretty consistent week after week. But in general, all these teams shoot so many threes now. I just think it's really hard to have a normal month. You just have these games where somebody will get hot or somebody makes 19 threes and, or you, you go three for 27 from three or whatever, and, and it just seems like there's more variance. Like, we lost that Washington game. I know. And Schmidt just got super hot for two and a half quarters, and all of a sudden we're going to lose to this Wizards team that didn't have Bradley Beal. It seems well, like that, that stuff that, happens it, more than ever lately.
5: It happened a lot to us last year when one guy would get hot. but
0: Like, I watched the Lakers thing... last night, the Lakers magic game, and uh, Markel Fultz <laughs> had a triple-double. And they, and they beat the Lakers. And it was like, I, I wasn't that surprised because I do feel like uh, the league is just way more random night to night
5: than it used to be. Yeah, I was watching the ESPN show a little bit today and uh, they were talking about the basketball show at three o'clock. They were talking about faults, and and I'm happy for the guy. Me too. You, you know who killed us though last night? It wasn't three-point shooting. It was Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose yeah. made 11 two-pointers, if I recall. Yeah, he's, um, he's always killed uh, us. He, he was unstoppable last night.
0: Um, you know, the Fultz thing, the faults things, I think, one of the most incredible NBA stories in a while. They gave that guy away. They gave him that away. That trade yeah, they, they made where they didn't even really get anybody who could, who, who helped them last year. They got Jonathan Simmons, who I think they thought was going to help them and didn't. And then they got a future, they got a second round pick last year, 33, and then a lottery protected. 2022 pick from OKC.
5: So they well, didn't, that's what they were talking about they didn't really the get jump, anything on the jump today that, you know, Philly waited like three years for Embiid to get his act together, but they didn't have the patience to wait on Fultz. And, and as you said, gave him up for nothing.
0: Yeah. And in, um, in, in a weird way, they would have been better off keeping him. And then at least he could have been a trade asset maybe for last summer or during the season this year. Cause his, he was making like 10 million a year.
5: So I'm, I'm glad they didn't keep him for that reason. Although I don't think he would have fit on this Philly team. I'm not sure where he. No, he have wouldn't played.
0: have fit. It's a great story though. The kid's only twenty one. I I really yeah. enjoyed watching him last night because the Lakers kind of didn't know what to do with him. He was going all over the place. Right. Um, but yeah, what a miss, man. You you throw that combined with the Tatum part of it. And uh and yet Philly beats us every time we play. So I guess we can't talk too much. Um all right. I wanted to check in to see how you're feeling about Cora. I'm glad it's nice to have you on the podcast, Dad. We we should nice, mention nice. you had like the Ebola virus for months, but now now your health is finally <laughs> turning around. But yeah, you had you've been I, sick I, for like I, nine months.
5: I had the, the the visit to Cuba Ebola virus. Yep. <laughs> that was your I'm first. not going back to Cuba. Yeah, by don't the go way. back to Cuba.
0: You had a okay. cough for like nine months, but yeah, feeling better. Okay, all right, sad so everybody in Boston for us.
5: All right, take all care. Right,
0: bye. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Square. More than a little white credit card reader, a whole system of tools built to run and grow any kind of business from point of sale and payroll to invoices and online stores. Go to square.com slash go slash BS to see all the ways you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. And then with the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others judgment. Like winning titles in football and baseball and then being judged by other people because we may or may not have done them honestly. Listen, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to celebrate my title and buy the DVD after. Pepsi, (laughs) that's what I like. Enjoy the rest of the week and we will see you Sunday night. Me, House, and Sal. Usually good times when House and I are together. Uh, There's a lot of rumors of drunk house. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, we'll see you this weekend.